if you would, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the Word of God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on, on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you please uh, bow with me in a word of prayer? as we go uh, to hear God's word this morning. God, we thank you so much, O Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness that is uh, new each day, God, your mercies that know no end. And thank you for the gathering of your people, your saints whom you have called out of darkness and into your marvelous light, that we, as a kingdom of priests, as a holy nation, would declare and proclaim your excellencies. God, at this time, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts and strengthen our minds. Help us, God, that you would give us ears to hear. Help us to, and give us the eyes to see. And We pray, O oh Lord, that your word will do its uh, purpose, God, of shaping us and molding us more into the image of Christ until Christ returns and calls us home to glory. God, may you receive all praise, honor, and glory through the preaching of your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you. Good morning. Yeah, some of you look like you're half awake, but glad that you're here. And I'm thankful for the opportunity of uh, being able to proclaim God's word uh, this morning here. It's good to see all of you. It's been a while uh, since I've been with you. I think the last time I was uh, at this pulpit was before you guys were even in this building. And so uh, it's been some time. But nonetheless, it's, it's great to be with you this morning and Uh, Great to worship with you. So uh, thank you uh, for having me. This is a a question that I'm sure many of you have asked before, especially for those of you with children. Uh, If you were to have any superpower, what would it be? It's a very common question that people like to think about. And a lot of people have different opinions. Some people, they want superhuman strength to be able to lift maybe 10 or 20 times their weight. Maybe the ability to fly. How nice would that be? You wouldn't have to wait through airport security lines, and you can just take off on your own. Um, Or maybe you would like the uh, ability to be incredibly stretchy, like Elastigirl from Incredibles, or maybe super speed, or maybe even the ability to read minds. Actually, if you think about that one, you may not want that one. Uh, You may not like what you uh, know what other people are thinking. What about the ability to be invisible? 
That's a nice one, isn't it? You could just go about, nobody would know, and you could imagine all the different ways that you could get away with things, which really highlights a particular point about superpowers as to why God didn't give some of us superpowers. And let's be quite honest about that, because if we all had superpowers, or if some of us did, we would all most likely be the villain and not the hero. See, invisibility as a particular power would allow you to go unseen, and some of us may really enjoy that because of all the things that we can do uh, that no one would know and no one would see. But like one psychologist put it, it is a joy to be hidden, but it is a disaster not to be found. I'm sure all of us have been in those kind of situations before, feeling alone in a crowded room. We feel rejected many times insignificant, and we jump through all kinds of hoops and try to do all kinds of things to be noticed by others. And some of that reality that really hits hard is that, and not to say that it's about your particular church, but for many people, that's how they feel even at church. They go through life feeling as if they don't matter. And we're constantly asking in our heads, what about me? It may begin with a longing for significance, just for others to notice, but eventually it spirals downward to just wanting simple acknowledgement. Yes, I'm here. I exist. For many of you, it's not just a situation, but it's a season, and many seasons. And for some of you still, it's your life story. Kind of like the man we see in our text today. This man, Zacchaeus. And like Zacchaeus, maybe you're going through life and maybe you're even here today because your main purpose is that you're looking for something. You're looking for a certain change in your life. You want to be noticed. You want certain significance. You want to feel important. You want to feel like your life matters. Maybe you want to experience change in your life. But as we will see, when Zacchaeus meets Jesus... He's not just changed. He's not just significant anymore, but rather he is utterly transformed. And although this story seems to be a story about this man named Zacchaeus, it's really a story about Jesus, about how he longs to come into your life to drastically transform you from the inside out. This narrative about Zacchaeus, it does not appear in any other gospel except here in the gospel of Luke. Zacchaeus is not mentioned anywhere else in scripture except in these 10 verses. Seems almost random that this story is here. But Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem. And throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus had gone to Jerusalem many times. From Galilee, traveling about 90 miles. But this is the first account that we see Jesus actually entering this city called Jericho. We don't see any other account of Jesus entering this town. But here on his final journey to Jerusalem, as he's on the way to the cross, as he's on the way to fulfill what he had come to earth for, he enters Jericho. And he has this encounter with this man, Zacchaeus. And what this narrative really shows us, and I want to point out to us, are three particular things about Jesus. And the first is that Jesus sees what is invisible in this world. Jesus sees. We are told through this text that Zacchaeus 
was a rich man. Why was he rich? How did he become rich? Well, he was the chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors were, were not very um, uh, good people. They were not looked upon with much favor during Jesus' time. And that really hasn't changed. I don't think if any of us ever worked for the IRS, we would boastfully say that we work for the IRS. That's a very quick way to lose friends. And really what Zacchaeus is, is he's a social outcast. He's seen as a traitor to his people. At this particular time in the uh, history of Israel, the people of Israel, they are being controlled and being ruled and subjugated by uh, a foreign power, by the Romans. And the Romans were not very easygoing people, but they had a very, very heavy hand. One of those ways that they exercised their heavy hand upon the people that they subjected was through taxation. And here was Zacchaeus. He was not a Roman. He was a Jew. And as a Jew, here he is. He's working for the foreign oppressive power. And not just in any other way, but by collecting taxes. And so in many ways, the the people around him in Jericho, they did not like Zacchaeus. He was seen as a traitor to his people, somebody who sold out just for making money. And the text tells us that on the account of the crowd, he could not see Jesus because he was small in stature. Now, Luke describes Zacchaeus this way to really point out two parallel truths regarding Zacchaeus. Yeah, he was short. Some of us can, can relate. I know I can relate. He was not a very tall person. Uh, growing up as a kid, uh, when we took, like, for example, uh, class pictures, when it came time for class pictures, yeah, I didn't stand in the back. I wasn't even standing. I was sitting up in the front holding the class sign. All right? That's because they uh, put all the short people. Um, and that's Zacchaeus. He was short in stature physically, but he was also short in stature socially. Because of the crowd, he couldn't make his way to see Jesus as he entered this town. Tax collectors were not generally received very well by the public. How did Zacchaeus make his money? Well, he would charge the people the taxes that the Romans had asked him to charge, but he would charge extra. Whatever extra he received, he pocketed for himself. And the text tells us that he was indeed rich. Being a chief tax collector, this isn't something that he started off just a couple of years before. He's been at this vocation for many, many years. Many years. Many years of being a social outcast. Many years of being short in stature on account of the crowd. Once again, even this, to this day, people generally have a negative attitude toward taxes. Zacchaeus essentially was the IRS of the time. And so he can't make his way through the crowd to get a front seat. Jesus enters this town, and by this point in Jesus' ministry, many people have heard about this man Jesus, about all the miraculous things that he's done. How people simply touch the hem of his cloak and they're immediately healed of their physical illness. How Jesus had even brought the dead back to life. The people are astounded as they hear this news that Jesus of Nazareth is about to enter their town. And so all the crowds, we're not sure exactly what time of day this was. But we know that it was during the day and 
the townspeople, whatever they were doing, they probably dropped everything because they wanted to get a glimpse of this man, Jesus. You can imagine a bunch of people, even people who are ill, physically ill, spiritually ill, all trying to get a front row seat so that Jesus would look upon them and heal them. And Zacchaeus wants to do the same. He wants to get a glimpse. He wants to see Jesus. But really what we see here in this text is that Jesus is the one who sees him. Zacchaeus being essentially invisible to the crowd and pretty much counted out and pushed aside, what does he do? Well, we don't even see any indication that he makes an attempt to get to the front of the crowd. He knows he can't make his way through. So he goes down the road and he climbs a tree. Probably something that someone of of his status wouldn't do, but probably something that he's done many times before. So he climbs a tree to get a better look, to get a better view, because he's used to being unseen. But of course, while he is invisible to everyone else, who sees him? Jesus does. Again, have you ever experienced the loneliness of being unseen in a crowded room? It's hard. It's difficult. How much of our behavior before others is driven by a need for acceptance, for acknowledgement, for recognition? And you might make do for a little bit, but after a while, brothers and sisters, it becomes emotionally exhausting. And after some time, even depressing. And so it's no wonder to us that when Jesus, seemingly occupied with the crowd, once again, try to picture the scene. There's this one main road through the town, and Jesus is making his way through this town, and the crowds are pressing in and gathering. A large crowd is gathering because his fame is known, and everybody wants to get a glimpse. Everybody wants Jesus' attention. And in the midst of this large crowd gathering around Jesus, Jesus passes underneath this tree that Zacchaeus is up in. He pauses. He stops. And he looks up. He looks up. And he doesn't just simply say, you up in the tree, come on down. But he knows him by his name. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Brothers and sisters, regardless of what it may feel like, regardless of whether you feel accepted or not, significant or not, God sees you. When it seems that no one really sees you, when it seems that no one really knows your battles, no one really seems to know the exhaustion that you have on a day-to-day basis of fighting those battles, God sees you and he knows. He sees you in your pain. He sees you in your loneliness. He sees you in your suffering. You guys know the song. He knows you by name. He knows your every thought. He sees each tear that falls. And he hears you when you call. That's our Savior. That is Jesus Christ. But Jesus doesn't just see you. He goes even further. He not only sees what is invisible to this world, but Jesus seeks what is disregarded by the world. He seeks 
You know, sometimes biblical narratives like this one can be dangerously misunderstood and used to teach very unbiblical lessons. I grew up in church most of my life, pretty much all my life, actually. And growing up in Sunday school, we heard this story so many times. There's even a song that goes with it. I'm not going to sing it for you, but you know the song. It tells a story about Zacchaeus. He's a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. And a lot of times, the way that this story has been taught in Sunday school is about how we must be like Zacchaeus. We must do all these kind of things to see Jesus, to seek after Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that sounds very religious to me. Again, it sounds religious because the emphasis is on what, must, what you must do rather than what Jesus did. The point of this narrative is not what you must do. It's not to simply say, hey, be like Zacchaeus. Even if you feel like a social outcast, do everything that you can to go and seek Jesus and look for him, find him. But really, it's the exact opposite. See, the Christian faith, brothers and sisters, is not primarily about what you do and what you must do, but it is primarily about what was done, what God has done for you. For those of you that are big into grammar, the indicatives come before the imperatives. And if you don't understand what that means, it's okay. Grammar is always hard for, for many people. All that to say is the truth of who God is and who we are in Christ, that establishes what we do in Christ. So what does Jesus do here? This story is not about the lengths that we must go through to seek Jesus, but it is about how Jesus all along was seeking after Zacchaeus. There was no need for Jesus to go through Jericho. Again, there's no other account of Jesus ever visiting this town before in his earthly ministry. There was no need for him to go through, but he goes through anyway. Why? Verse 10 tells us the reason why, and really is the, the main point of this narrative. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree. Of all the people in the crowd. In many ways, we can make the argument that the main purpose for Jesus entering this town of Jericho was because he was seeking after Zacchaeus. My wife and I have been blessed with three wonderful children. And our kids are a, a very active bunch. They definitely keep us on our toes. And being very, very active, one of the common things around our holds, household is that our house is a 24-7 mess. It's always a mess. Toys just everywhere, books everywhere, papers everywhere. My kids love origami. I don't know why. They love folding paper airplanes. There's always about at least 10 paper airplanes somewhere in our living room. Um, they just make one after another after another. They just love that stuff. And so our house is always a constant mess. But as much as our house is a constant mess, our kids are very social, and they love having people over at our house. And so uh, on any given day, we'll have people from church coming over, uh, either for a meal uh, we have regular Bible studies at our house on Thursday evenings. And so we have people coming over to our house a lot. And every time we are, get ready for people to come over, our house is a zoo. Because my wife and I, mostly me, 
because uh, I'm kind of the, the, the one that likes to be organized. And I'm just saying to my kids and just yelling, hey, clean up. You guys have to clean up. We're having people come over our house. You need to clean up. And so I'm like trying to round up the kids. It's like, it's like herding cows to try to, to get the house uh, somewhat presentable. And so people come over, and we have a particular rule in our house whenever guests come. Um, before they leave, uh, they're not allowed to leave unless we get to pray for them first. And so we pray for them. And after we pray for them, we say this one little phrase to all of our guests before they leave our home. We tell them, we say, thanks for coming. We love having you over. Thank you for giving us a reason to clean our house. We love saying that because it's true, right? Because if it were not for guests, our house would just continually be a mess. That day when Zacchaeus woke up, I don't think he was expecting any guests to his house. He didn't have time to tidy up. He didn't have time to clean up the mess of his home. They didn't have cell phones back then. Being a rich man, I'm sure he had some servants in his house. He couldn't simply call and say, hey, clean up because Jesus is coming over tonight. No. What does that tell us? Jesus sought after him, even in the midst of all of his mess, even in the midst of all the messiness of his life. I want you and all of your messiness. I want the skeletons in your closet. I want all the shame, all the dirt, all the things that you wouldn't dare allow others to see. That's the heart of our Savior. That's the heart of Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you go see a doctor, aside from annual checkups, typically you go to see a doctor because you feel like something is not right. Some sort of symptom that you're experiencing. Some indicator that something is not right with your physical body. But when you go see a doctor, no one tries to fix themselves first to prepare for a doctor's appointment. Nobody tries to get everything right before they go see the doctor. They go see the doctor because the very reason that things are not right. And yet, many times when we encounter Jesus Christ, we're so hardened to allow Jesus to enter parts of our lives. We used to have this mindset, wait, before I give my life to Jesus, let me get myself put together. Let me get all of my relationships in order. Let me get my life in order. Let me get everything down pat. Let me get everything perfectly right and clean up all the mess in my house, in my life, so that Jesus would enter. That's not the heart of our Savior. He wants you in all of your mess. Zacchaeus didn't have many guests. We see even in the text when when Jesus announced that he was going to go stay at Zacchaeus' house in verse 7, when they, that is the crowd, when they saw it, what did they all grumble? They said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What does that tell us? Even if Zacchaeus wanted to invite people to his home, nobody would dare enter in. Why? Because he's a marked man. He's marked as a sinner, and nobody would ever dare enter into the house of a man who is a sinner. No one would dare. No one except Jesus. Who would go? Zacchaeus had no guests, but Jesus stepped in. He stepped into all the sinful mess of Zacchaeus' life, and he transformed his life from the inside out. Very much like when Jesus enters your life. He steps into all the mess 
But here's the kicker, brothers and sisters. When Jesus enters the mess of your house, he doesn't enter your mess holding his nose at the stink of your sin. But he enters in gladly, joyfully, longingly. You don't have to bend his arm backwards to get him to come into your house. Actually, it's the other way around. Many times, Jesus has to bend your arm backwards to enter your house. He does it lovingly. He doesn't step into your life to judgmentally point out all the wrongs. He doesn't sit there into your house and criticize all the mess to condemn you because of all the sin in your life. But rather, he enters in to joyfully take on your mess. What we see here is the very gospel of Jesus Christ. That not only does Jesus see you, but he seeks to enter your life. He came to save the lost. That is the heart of our Christ, of our Savior. To give you a new heart that leaps with childlike joy at his presence. One of the TV shows that my wife and I like to watch on HGTV, that is when we get a chance to watch TV. Our lives are so busy nowadays. Uh, but when we do get a chance to watch, we watch this show on HGTV called Fixer Upper. Maybe you're familiar with this show with Chip and Joanna Gaines. And they have a, a great gift. They can take uh, mediocre designs and really make fabulous homes. And uh, whenever we watch this show, at least for myself, I got to really guard my heart, my, guard my heart because I watch this show and immediately after watching the show, I look around at my house, and I'm like, wow, this could use some sprucing up. They come in, they take a house, and, and they just transform it, don't they, from the inside out. And if you want a house kind of like what Chip and Joanna Gaines does, then you probably need to move to Waco, Texas, uh, because one of the main things that they do is there in Waco, Texas, and all of you probably, if you have seen the show, you know about the, the open concept, right? And how much they like the open concept. But that show reveals something about what Jesus does. See, when he enters your life, after he seeks after you, he does it not just so that he can tidy things up, give you some fresh new window treatments, a new coat of paint, maybe a new floor, maybe just vacuum here and there, wipe things down. No, but Jesus comes in to utterly transform. He's going to come into your life and he's going to knock down walls. He's going to dig through that closet and pull out all the mess. He's going to go through your junk drawer. All the stuff that you don't know where it goes, you just put in that junk drawer. He's going to come in, he's going to open that up and pull everything out. Because that's what Jesus does. He transforms from the inside out. Jesus transforms what is discarded of the world. See, brothers and sisters, we're so good at compartmentalizing our lives, aren't we? We come to church, and we go through the Christian life. As we go through the Christian life, we're like, oh, yeah, I want to receive Jesus. And, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I identify as a Christian, and Jesus has entered my life. Has he really? For many of us, he's only entered certain portions of our lives. There are certain portions of our lives that we compartmentalize, and we say, yes, Jesus, you can have this space. Jesus, you can have this space, you can have this, and you can have this, but not that space. 
not that wing of my heart that's cordoned off. God, you can have this, but you can't have my marriage. God, you could have my work life maybe, but you can't have my social life. God, you could have this part of my life, but you can't have my parenting. No, those, those are for me. I'll take care of those things. Jesus, you can, you can use the guest bathroom. You can, use, you can stay in the guest room. No. Jesus doesn't enter your life to be your guest. He enters your life to be your Lord. We read this text. The very, very important question we need to ask, us, brother, ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, is at what point does Zacchaeus' life change? In verse 9, Jesus makes this statement and says, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. When was Zacchaeus actually saved? Was it at this point when Zacchaeus said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold? No. That's not when Zacchaeus' life, life was changed. What we actually see is that response from Zacchaeus, that is in response to his life being transformed. So at what point did, G did Zacchaeus actually encounter Jesus Christ and his life transformed? It was in verse 6. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down. And what does the text tell us? How did Zacchaeus receive Jesus? Received him joyfully received him joyfully see for all of his life as a tax collector Zacchaeus was only about three people me myself and I he was only about himself as long as he got rich that's all that mattered because in his life his greatest treasure was his riches see but when he encountered Jesus there is no way at encountering the risen Lord Jesus Christ that Zacchaeus couldn't lay down before Jesus all of his riches. What changed everything for Zacchaeus was when he met Jesus, because it was at that moment Zacchaeus realized that Jesus is the greatest treasure. No earthly riches could ever compare to Jesus. It was on that day that for the first time in his life, there was something or someone far more precious and valuable than all the riches that he had accumulated or that he could ever hope for. A radical change in his value system. What change do you need today, brothers and sisters? What are those areas of your life that you have been resisting and resisting to open to Jesus? For Zacchaeus, giving half of his goods to the poor, now it was easy. Something he probably couldn't do before, it was easy now because he had just received the greatest treasure, Jesus himself. Some of you here today, you're very much like Zacchaeus. You can relate with him. You know the heartache of living in obscurity, unseen by others, disregarded, unknown. For some of you, that's a painful reality for you because that's what you're experiencing even in your marriages. It's what you're experiencing even in your own family. 
maybe even here as you are in worship, you feel lonely in the midst of a crowd. But I want to encourage you with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, that God knows you. He sees you. He knows you by name, and he loves you to the point of his son taking up the cross so that all that mess in your life, Jesus could say, it's mine. It's mine. To take from you your heart of stone and to give you a heart of flesh. At the very end of each episode of Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna sit there or stand outside of the the new home with the homeowner and they have these two very large screens on wheels that they close and they cover up the house. And And what it is, it's a large picture of what the house used to look like. An owner is standing there and then it's the great reveal. And Chip and Joanna pull these two panels apart and you see the homeowner as their eyes widen and their jaws drop and they're amazed at this transformation of what used to be their home into what it is now. Brothers and sisters, I think in a lot of ways that's kind of what it's going to be like for us when we stand before God in glory. Where we see our transformed lives. Where we see the completed work of the Holy Spirit. Making us more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And we stand in glory now to see the final product. Bearing the full image of Jesus Christ. With no shadow or tint of our former lives. And why is that the case? All because Jesus sees you. Because he seeks after you to transform your life utterly from the inside and out. And if you're here today and you have not received Jesus into your life, I want to let you know that you are not without hope. He is indeed seeking after you. He's seeking to radically transform your life, to give you joy unspeakable, to grant you life to the fullest, to save you to the uttermost. He's knocking at the door of your heart today. Won't you open it and allow him into the mess of your life? Jesus will not condemn. He will not hose his nose and bear the stink of your sin. Rather, he will take your sin and he will wash it clean with his blood. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we are humbled at the thought, O Lord, that you would be mindful of us. God, all of us, without any exception, every single one of us, we've made an utter mess of our lives. We are but broken sinners, and we are very much in need of a Savior. And God, you gave us your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost. And God, we are astounded at the display of your love for us, at the display of your mercy, 
and your grace towards us who are so undeserving. God, there is nothing that we've merited to receive salvation but for our sins alone. And gracious God, I pray that God, you would give us the faith to open up our hearts to you, O Lord, to allow Jesus to enter every aspect of our lives so that he may indeed transform us from the inside out. That is the very heart of our Savior. That is the very heart of Jesus. It is his mission to enter into the mess of our lives, to transform us, so that we no longer would be living in obscurity, no longer unseen, but living joyfully, knowing that we are seen by our Heavenly Father. God, I pray and ask for your mercy, O Lord, especially if there are any one of us in here today who have not accepted Jesus Christ. I pray, O Lord, that as you are knocking upon their hearts, Holy Spirit, would you give them the faith, give them the courage to open their hearts to Christ, that he may indeed reign as Lord and King. Thank you for your word this day. And thank you, O Lord, for the ways that you are ministering to us through your word. Thank you, O God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.